Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. typical history podcast and will be offensive to some listeners. In the interest of humor and making history less boring, the orator of this fiasco will on occasion insult nations, religions, and other worthy targets. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. The French have a less than stellar reputation for being cheese-eating surrender monkeys when it comes to war. As the former Deputy Undersecretary of American Defense Jed Babin put it, going to war without France is like going deer hunting without an accordion. Just as a side note, Jed, though, with a first name like that, perhaps you shouldn't cast stones. But I mention this because the French are not generally considered the most hardcore military in the world. So it should come as no surprise, then, that the most badass element of the French military is comprised largely of not French people. I am, of course, speaking of the French Foreign Legion. The French Foreign Legion is considered worldwide about as badass a group of stone-cold killers as you can find anywhere. Originally, they were almost entirely manned by foreign nationals with French officers in the command positions. The complete lack of background checking led it to largely being comprised of evildoers fleeing from their homelands, supervillains on the lam, and probably Batman. Even still, only a handful of the root tootinous tough guys actually get into the Legion. A large number desert, crying to their mothers or suffer a bad case of pussyitis and get the boot literally and figuratively. In fact, the French Foreign Legion is so hardcore that their unofficial motto is Marche ou Creve, which basically means march or die. One can assume they only accept the ones that pick the marching option. And today's hard-as-a-rock candidate, Capitaine Jean d'Anjou, was not only hardcore enough to be a foreign legionnaire, but as if to thumb his nose at the world, he was also a Frenchman, and probably the hardest Frenchman that ever lived. Well, except for that Gerard Depardieu character. I heard he took a piss in the aisle of a first-class section on an airplane once. That's hardcore. In the 1860s, Mexico had been racking up some debts fighting a civil war and now owed a bunch of money to France, Britain, and Spain. A newly elected Mexican president, Benito Pablo Juarez, was between a rock and a hard place economically because of the money his predecessor owed to the greedy Europeans. As a result, he decided the only sensible thing to do would be to refuse to repay the debt. Needless to say, this royally pissed off the European monarchs, pardon the pun, and they decided to travel halfway around the world to strong-arm the Mexican president. The three European nations banded together and sent their troops to Mexico. They quickly realized that this might have been a bit harder than first assumed. They successfully wrested control of Veracruz with 7,000 Spaniards, 2,500 Frenchmen, and 700 British Royal Marines. And despite this initial success at Veracruz, the troops were taking heavy losses from the enemy and disease. The Brits and Spaniards, realizing that perhaps there was little to be gained from expending blood and treasure to chase, well, what was likely to be a paltry prize at the end, quickly departed. But not Charles Louis Napoleon Bonaparte III, Emperor of France. No, sir. This guy was an absolutely epic moron who likely sought to live up to the name he had inherited. It would appear from history, though, that the only thing Napoleon III had in common with his uncle 
was his first name. However, he seemed to be seeking a name in history, and the original mission of getting debts repaid changed to a mission of conquest. And to begin this effort, the French army attempted to march inland to take the crown jewel of the creatively named capital of Mexico City. They never made it, and instead they got hung up at Puebla on 5th May 1862 and were driven back to the beach where they had landed. Any sensible emperor would perhaps reconsider his decisions at this point, but not Napoleon III. If this podcast were about the greatest morons in history, he'd probably be at the top of the list. With his troops trapped on a beach halfway around the world, he decided the best course of action would be to press on. So he first ferried over a surge of 30,000 men across the Atlantic, and they began to press inland again. However, like so many massive nations trying to throw their weight around in foreign lands, they soon found themselves fighting a protracted guerrilla war against the local populace, who ironically resented the foreign liberators. My, how history echoes its lessons through the ages. Now, the French Foreign Legion, eager to get their piece of the action, were treated like red-headed stepchildren by France when they arrived. They were employed mostly as sentries at various command posts and did escort duty for various convoys. The French commander-in-chief made no secret as to why he was treating the Legion this way. Quote, I prefer to leave foreigners rather than Frenchmen to guard the most unhealthy area, the tropical zone from La Soledad to Cordoba where malaria reigns. End quote. Apparently, the foreigners were unworthy of the excitement of looting and raping that comes with conquest and instead got to walk around in the Mexican bush catching disease. However, the stalemate in Puebla necessitated something to turn the tide of the ill-fated conquest attempt. The French military commander on the ground, Colonel Pierre Genigro, received orders that a resupply of ammo, heavy equipment, and an army pay chest, 4 million francs worth, be brought forward to resupply the French army at the front. The resupply convoy was an especially slow group of 64 horse-drawn wagons. To protect them, two infantry companies would escort the slow-moving supply line. French intel received a strong tip that the convoy was going to be ambushed. And not by some ragtag group of guerrillas, but serious Mexican troops, including three infantry battalions and a number of cavalry squadrons. This was very bad news, and it became clear to French leadership that they would need to reinforce the convoy's protective detail or at least catch the Mexicans en route and disrupt them. Looking around his battle space, the commanders decided that the third camp. This was bad news for the Legion, as they had suffered greatly doing the dirty work of the French army. The majority of the men were suffering from dysentery and consumption brought on by the brutal Mexican climate. Dysentery, for the uninitiated, has such enjoyable side effects as frequent passing of bloody, watery stools with such pleasant extra ingredients as pus and mucus. As if that weren't enough, you also get to enjoy fever accompanied by weakness, nausea, and severe abdominal cramps. Consumption, on the other hand, is now known as tuberculosis. And tuberculosis doesn't attack the arse, but rather the lungs, causing its victims to have a chronic cough with blood-tinged sputum and phlegm. So what you have is a group of misfits suffering from the worst diarrhea you can imagine, punctuated with aching, brutal coughing fits. So naturally, they were the perfect choice for escort duty. I know whenever I need an escort, I want one with dysentery. Lucky for the French generals, the Foreign Legion didn't let little things like coughing up blood and explosive painful diarrhea stop them from the enjoyable pursuit of marching with full kit in the Mexican sun. Well, that's not entirely accurate. It actually stopped a number of them. Only 62 of the fighting force of 120 men 
could actually walk. Surprisingly, not one command officer was capable of walking. And so lacking a leader, the regimental quartermaster, Capitaine Jean d'Anjou, our subject for today's podcast, volunteered to command the mission. Now, D'Anjou was no green up-and-comer at this point, and was a veteran of many foreign legion activities. He had lost his left hand in the French colonization efforts in Algeria. Non-pulsed, he had replaced it with a wooden one. Rumor had it that this vastly improved his ability to beat sense into his subordinates, and Capitaine D'Anjou and his wooden hand then went on to fight the Russians in the Crimean War, the Germans in the Austro-Sardinian War, and then bounced around in Morocco. So here he was, bored out of his tree with the rest of his troops, when he was ordered to go and reinforce the French resupply. With no officer in the command headquarters healthy enough to lead the Foreign Legion on this mission, Capitaine d'Anjou set out to lead it himself and lead his men to a most uncertain fate. In the end, three officers and 62 enlisted men answered roll call. They headed out on 30th April 1863 at Odark Early. At 2.30 in the morning, they paused at a post held by the battalion's grenadier company at Paso del Macho. The grenadier's commander, seeing the size of the force and knowing of the impending convoy ambush intel, offered some of his own troops. Danjou, being the hard man that he was, declined the offer, and his men made their way into the darkness to a fate as yet unknown. At 7 in the morning, after slogging it for 15 miles, the contingent of 3rd Company laid up at Palo Verde for a rest. Just as the legionnaires started to loosen their boots and enjoy some much-needed rest, the stench of the Mexican army wafted into the area. As foretold, the Mexicans had brought 800 cavalry to royally ruin the day of the paltry 65 members of the French Foreign Legion. D'Anjou had his contingent form up in a square formation and fixed bayonets. The Mexicans' cavalry charged, and D'Anjou began searching for a more defensible position. While retreating to an as-yet-undetermined, tactically sound location, D'Anjou and his men repelled several cavalry charges. Amazingly, the Mexicans suffered the brunt of the losses during this, as the legionnaire succeeded in wasting a large number of the Mexican cavalrymen. D'Anjou chose the nearby Hacienda Cameroon as the best location to make what would likely be his last stand. The inn had a 10-foot wall and small courtyard and had the effect of nullifying any potential cavalry maneuver. It had the downside of being in the center of town and having no means of escape should things go to pot, as they likely were to. Danju got his men inside, hoping to tie up the Mexicans and protect a nearby convoy. Then things went from bad to worse. The Mexicans had also brought an infantry battalion to ensure the success of their operation. 65 legionnaires against 2,000 Mexicans. Not the best odds. Needless to say, the legionnaires were in a world of hurt, and this is in the days before communications were established and there was no indication whatsoever that any relief might be coming. Any legionnaires or French forces that might be in Mexico were likely 50 miles away with their arses still firmly affixed to a crapper. Seeing this, the Mexican commander, Colonel Milan, approached the hacienda under a flag of peace and told Danjou, hey, you're basically SOL, so if you could give up now, that would be swell. Now, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I would say that's probably close to what was said. It must have been a pretty convincing argument when you have 2,000 Mexican dudes behind you armed to the teeth. But apparently it wasn't convincing enough. Danjou took this opportunity in the gap between fighting to wrangle up a liter of wine, and then went to each man and served each man one sip. 
As though practicing in some sort of twisted communion, he asked each man, you promise to die rather than surrender? To which each replied in the affirmative, oui, mon capitaine. Hell then rained down on the 65 men holed up in the death trap of a hacienda. The Mexican army spared no ammunition and bullets ricocheted around the building. The Mexicans challenged the entry points of the building only to be pushed back by legionnaires who shot, impaled on bayonet, or skull crushed them with the butts of their rifles. There may even have been some hair pulling and fighting, and Danjou could be heard above the din yelling, Make each bullet count! Any Mexican that managed to make it close enough to the legion never returned to their group. As the battle raged on, the corpses of legionnaires and Mexicans piled up and began to litter the courtyard and walls of the hacienda. Most of them were Mexicans. Actually, only 12 of them were Danjou's men. It became clear to Danjou about this time that his group of 60-some-odd men had encountered the ambush intended for the convoy. While there must have been no doubt in his mind that the legionnaires would have little chance of overcoming the massively large Mexican army, it likely did also occur to him that by absorbing their fury, they would be distracted from the convoy. So here he was without hope, and with only a word or two, he could end the horror that had befallen his men. Surely the sensible man would look at the situation and decide it was time to throw in the towel. If the heat didn't kill him first, the eventual end of the ammunition would mean their surrender. But I guess that didn't matter to a guy as hard as Capitaine d'Anjou. The Legion dies. It does not surrender. The battle raged on, and eventually a sniper tagged Danjou in the chest. He collapsed and was dragged to cover. His face caked in blood, sweat, and filth when he turned to the legionnaires who had come to his aid. His lips dripping and frothing with blood, he uttered the word, Never. Then, in a spasm of coughing and pain, drew his last breath. The assembled men, wiping their tears and sweat from their eyes, took his last words to heart. Wave after wave of Mexicans charged the inn, and again and again they were beaten back, their dead mounted and the legionnaires held. At 1300 hours, a Mexican officer, Lieutenant Leanne, made an offer to the legionnaires. Quote, I renew my offer to accept your surrender and guarantee your safety. Your bravery is wonderful but fruitless. End quote. The legionnaires took a cue from their fallen leader and told him where he could stick it. Lieutenant Leanne replied, Then prepare to die. The battle raged on, the oppressive heat taking their toll on the legionnaires. Wave after wave again rained death on the trapped men, and then to compound the legion's problems, the Mexicans set fire to bales of hay around the hacienda. The legionnaires were being cooked alive, were choking and blinded by the smoke, dying of thirst and otherwise having not the best days of their lives. In response, they took to shooting anything they could see moving through the walls of smoke. After 10 hours of fighting, there were 12 legionnaires left. Ammunition was painfully low, and everybody was probably pretty thirsty. The Mexicans were stupefied, and made a passionate speech about their country's pride and honor. It fell on deaf ears. The Mexicans were doubtlessly taken aback by the gallantry of the legionnaires, and they were also facing the reality that they were losing hundreds of their own men. Finally, in an effort to wipe out the 12 or so remaining men, the Mexicans consolidated their troops into one final charge. By 1800 hours, there were six legionnaires left, and with one round left each, they fired their last volley. The remaining six men then affixed bayonets and charged the Mexicans. 
Facing a sea of soldiers, the first rank of Mexicans crumpled as the legionnaires stabbed and clubbed them with their rifles. They proceeded to repeat the process with the Mexicans that took their place. This continued for some time until the Mexicans fired another volley. Legionnaire Victor Cateau, a Belgian with six months of service, threw his body in front of the remaining officer, Lieutenant Modet, and fell to the ground. He died with 19 bullets in his body. Despite his efforts, Modet fell with two mortal bullet wounds. A third legionnaire also fell. Jeffrey Wenzel was knocked down by a bullet in the shoulder, but immediately got back up. This left three legionnaires. The three remaining men, Corporal Louis Main, Laurent Constantin, and Jeffrey Wenzel, then stepped over the bodies of their comrades and stood back to back, ready to kill any son of a bitch that came near them. The Mexicans, dumbfounded, stared for a moment in disbelief. Then they surrounded the three men with their bayonets aimed at their chests. And just as the three men prepared to draw their last breath, the Mexican commander, Colonel Angel Lucido Cambas, burst through the ranks and stood between the men and his soldiers. Quote, Vous rendez-vous cette fois? End quote, he asked. Do you now surrender? Only if you allow us to keep our weapons and equipment and treat our wounded lieutenant here replied Maine. Cambas replied, quote, one refuses nothing to men such as you, end quote. The Battle of Cameroon was over and looked as though it had been the site of one of the largest battles in history. The battle lasted 11 hours and 300 to 400 Mexicans lay dead around the hacienda. 23 of 65 legionnaires survived the battle and the Mexicans were good to their word and treated the injured legionnaires' wounds. Seven would die later in prison, and 16 would be released to the French in a prisoner exchange. The Mexican commander, Milan, was so shaken by the battle that he never again attacked a French convoy. And the French resupplies finally made their way to Puebla. In time, Mexico City, too, would fall. And Napoleon III would eventually control Mexico, but have to withdraw his troops. The Battle of Cameroon would become one of the greatest examples of heroism and self-sacrifice in history. It also would cement the reputation of the French Foreign Legion as one of the hardest fighting forces in the world. Capitaine d'Anjou's wooden hand is one of the most treasured relics of the French Foreign Legion, and Cameroon 1863 is inscribed on all Foreign Legion flags. A testament to Capitaine d'Anjou and his men, who were hard as a rock. If you'd like to hear some more stories, please find our Facebook page. Uh, we're Hard as a Rock Podcast there on Facebook. And you can check out the show site at hardasarock.net. That address again is hardasarock.net. All one word, obviously. Please help us put food on our table and uh, make a donation on our website. I plan on doing these monthly, so stay tuned for the next episode where we will tell the tale of yet another human that makes the rest of us look, well, pathetic. This is Hard as a Rock Podcast. You're listening to Free Music by Dano. Download free MP3s at danosongs.com.